Section twenty one of Volume One D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of sixteen eighty eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of sixteen eighty eight by David Hume. Volume One D, Section twenty one, Chapter forty one. Part one. Elizabeth. The greatest and most absolute security that Elizabeth enjoyed during her whole reign never exempted her from vigilance and attention, but the scene began now to be more overcast, and dangers gradually multiplied on her from more than one quarter. The Earl of Morton had hitherto retained Scotland in strict alliance with the queen and had also restored domestic tranquillity to that kingdom but it was not to be expected that the factitious and legal authority of a regent would long maintain itself in a country unacquainted with law and order where even the natural dominion of hereditary princes so often met with opposition and control the nobility began anew to break into factions. The people were disgusted with some instances of Morton's avarice, and the clergy, who complained of further encroachments on their narrow revenue, joined and increased the discontent of the other orders. The regent was sensible of his dangerous situation, and having dropped some peevish expressions, as if he were willing or desirous to resign, the noblemen of the opposite parties, favourites of the young king, laid hold of this concession, and required that demission which he seemed so frankly to offer them. James was at this time but eleven years of age, yet Morton, having secured himself, as he imagined, by a general pardon, resigned his authority into the hands of the king who pretended to conduct in his own name the administration of the kingdom. The regent retired from the government, and seemed to employ himself entirely in the care of his domestic affairs. But either tired with this tranquillity which appeared insipid after the agitations of ambition, or thinking it time to throw off dissimulation, he came again to court, acquired an ascendant in the council, and though he resumed not the title of regent, governed with the same authority as before. The opposite party, after holding separate conventions, took to arms on pretense of delivering their prince from captivity, and restoring him to the free exercise of his government. Queen Elizabeth interposed by her ambassador Sir Robert Bowles, and mediated an agreement between the factions. Morton kept possession of the government, but his enemies were numerous and vigilant, and his authority seemed to become every day more precarious. The Count d'Aubigny, of the House of Lennox, cousin German to the king's father, had been born and educated in France, and being a young man of good address and a sweet disposition, he appeared to the Duke of Guise a proper instrument for detaching James from the English interest, and connecting him with his mother and her relations. 
he no sooner appeared at stirling where james resided than he acquired the affections of the young monarch and joining his interests with those of james stuart of the house of oakiltree a man of profligate manners who had acquired the king's favour he employed himself under the appearance of play and amusement in instilling into the tender mind of the prince new sentiments of politics and government he represented to him the injustice which had been done to mary in her deposition and made him entertain thoughts either of resigning the crown into her hands or of associating her with him in the administration elizabeth alarmed at the danger which might ensue from the prevalence of this interest in scotland sent anew sir robert bowes to stirling and accusing daubigny now created earl of lennox of an attachment to the french warned james against entertaining such suspicious and dangerous connections the king excused himself by sir alexander hume his ambassador and lennox finding that the queen had openly declared against him was further confirmed in his intention of overturning the english interest and particularly of ruining morton who was regarded as the head of it that nobleman was arrested in council accused as an accomplice in the late king's murder committed to prison brought to trial and condemned to suffer as a traitor he confessed that bothwell had communicated to him the design had pleaded mary's consent and had desired his concurrence but he denied that he himself had ever expressed any approbation of the crime and in excuse for his concealing it he alleged the danger of revealing the secret either to henry who had no resolution nor constancy, or Morton, who appeared to be an accomplice in the murder. Sir Thomas Randolph was sent by the Queen to intercede in favour of Morton, and that ambassador, not content with discharging this duty of his function, engaged by his persuasion the earls of Argyle, Montrose, Angus, Mar, and Glencairn, to enter into a confederacy for protecting, even by force of arms, the life of the prisoner. The more to overawe that nobleman's enemies, Elizabeth ordered forces to be assembled on the borders of England. But this expedient served only to hasten his sentence and execution. Morton died with that constancy and resolution which had attended him through all the various events of his life and left a reputation which was less disputed with regard to abilities than probity and virtue but this conclusion of the scene happened not till the subsequent year elizabeth was during this period extremely anxious on account of every revolution in scotland both because that country alone not being separated from england by sea and bordering on all the catholic and malcontent counties afforded her enemies a safe and easy method of attacking her and because she was sensible that mary thinking herself abandoned by the french monarch had been engaged by the guises to have recourse to the powerful protection of philip who though he had not yet come to an open rupture with the queen 
was every day both by the injuries which he committed and suffered more exasperated against her that he might retaliate the assistance which she gave to his rebels in the low countries he had sent under the name of the pope a body of seven hundred spaniards and italians into ireland where the inhabitants always turbulent and discontented with the english government were now alienated by religious prejudices and were ready to join every invader the spanish general san Gisofo, built a fort in kerry and being there besieged by the earl of ormond president of munster who was soon after joined by lord grey the deputy he made a weak and cowardly defence after some assaults feebly sustained he surrendered at discretion and grey who commanded but a small force finding himself encumbered with so many prisoners put all the spaniards and italians to the sword without mercy and hanged about fifteen hundred of the irish a cruelty which gave great displeasure to elizabeth when the english ambassador made complaints of this invasion he was answered by like complaints of the piracies committed by francis drake a bold seaman who had assaulted the spaniards in the place where they deemed themselves most secure in the new world this man sprung from mean parents in the county of devon having acquired considerable riches by depredations made in the isthmus of panama and having there gotten a sight of the pacific ocean was so stimulated by ambition and avarice that he scrupled not to employ his whole fortune in a new adventure through those seas so much unknown at that time to all the european nations by means of sir christopher hatton then vice-chamberlain a great favourite of the queen's he obtained her consent and approbation and he set sail from plymouth in fifteen seventy seven with four ships and a pinnace on board of which were one hundred and sixty-four able sailors he passed into the south sea by the straits of magellan and attacked the spaniards who expected no enemy in these quarters he took many rich prizes and prepared to return with the booty which he had acquired apprehensive of being intercepted by the enemy if he took the same way homewards by which he had reached the pacific ocean he attempted to find a passage by the north of california and failing in that enterprise he set sail for the east indies and returned safely this year by the cape of good hope he was the first englishman who sailed round the globe and the first commander-in-chief for magellan whose ship executed the same adventure died in his passage his name became celebrated on account of so bold and fortunate an attempt but many apprehending the resentment of the spaniards endeavoured to persuade the queen that it would be more prudent to disavow the enterprise to punish drake and to restore the treasure but elizabeth who admired valour and who was allured by the prospect of sharing in the booty determined to countenance that gallant sailor she conferred on him the honour of knighthood and accepted of a banquet from him at deptford 
on board the ship which had achieved so memorable a voyage when philip's ambassador mendoza exclaimed against drake's piracies she told him that the spanish by arrogating a right to the whole new world and excluding thence all other european nations who should sail thither even with a view of exercising the most lawful commerce naturally tempted others to make a violent eruption into those countries to pacify however the catholic monarch she caused part of the booty to be restored to pedro sabura a spaniard who pretended to be agent for the merchants whom drake had spoiled having learned afterwards that philip had seized the money and had employed part of it against herself in ireland part of it in the pay of the prince of parma's troops she decided to make no more restitutions there was another cause which induced the queen to take this resolution she was in such want of money that she was obliged to assemble a parliament a measure which as she herself openly declared she never embraced except when constrained by the necessity of her affairs the parliament besides granting her a supply of one subsidy and two fifteenths enacted some statutes for the security of her government chiefly against the attempts of the catholics whoever in any way reconciled any one to the church of rome or was himself reconciled was declared to be guilty of treason to say mass was subjected to the penalty of a year's imprisonment and a fine of two hundred marks the being present was punishable by a year's imprisonment and a fine of a hundred marks a fine of twenty pounds a month was imposed on every one who continued during that time absent from church to utter slanderous or seditious words against the queen was punishable for the first offence with the pillory and loss of ears the second offence was declared felony the writing or printing of such words was felony even on the first offence the puritans prevailed so far as to have further applications made for reformation in religion and paul wentworth brother to the member of that name who had distinguished himself in the preceding session moved that the commons from their own authority should appoint a general fast and prayers a motion to which the house unwarily assented for this presumption they were severely reprimanded by a message from the queen as encroaching on the royal prerogative and supremacy and they were obliged to submit and ask forgiveness the queen and parliament were engaged to pass these severe laws against the catholics by some late discoveries of the treasonable practices of their priests when the ancient worship was suppressed and the reformation introduced into the universities the king of spain reflected that as some species of literature was necessary for supporting these doctrines and controversies the romish communion must decay in england if no means were found to give erudition to the ecclesiastics and for this reason he founded a seminary at douay where the catholics sent their children chiefly such as were intended for the priesthood in order to receive the rudiments of their education 
the cardinal of lorraine imitated this example by erecting a like seminary in his diocese of rheims and though rome was somewhat distant the pope would not neglect to adorn by a foundation of the same nature that capital of orthodoxy these seminaries founded with so hostile an intention sent over every year a colony of priests who maintained the catholic superstition in its full height of bigotry and being educated with a view to the crown of martyrdom were not deterred either by danger or fatigue from maintaining and propagating their principles they infused into all their votaries an extreme hatred against the queen whom they treated as a usurper a schismatic a heretic a persecutor of the orthodox and one solemnly and publicly anathemized by the holy father sedition rebellion sometimes assassination were the expedients by which they intended to effect their purposes against her and the severe restraint not to say persecution under which the catholics labored made them the more willingly receive from their ghostly fathers such violent doctrines these seminaries were all of them under the direction of the jesuits a new order of regular priests erected in europe when the court of rome perceived that the lazy monks and beggarly friars who sufficed in times of ignorance were no longer able to defend the ramparts of the church assailed on every side and that the inquisitive spirit of the age required a society more active and more learned to oppose its dangerous progress these men as they stood foremost in the contest against the protestants drew on them the extreme animosity of that whole sect and by assuming a superiority over the other more numerous and more ancient orders of their own commission were even exposed to the envy of their brethren so that it is no wonder if the blame to which their principles and conduct might be exposed has in many instances been much exaggerated this reproach however they must bear from posterity that by the very nature of their institution they were engaged to pervert learning the only effectual remedy against superstition into a nourishment of that infirmity and as their erudition was chiefly of the ecclesiastical and scholastic kind though a few members have cultivated polite literature they were only the more enabled by that acquisition to refine away the plainest dictates of morality and to erect a regular system of casuistry by which prevarication perjury and every crime when it served their ghostly purposes might be justified and defended the jesuits as devoted servants to the court of rome exalted the prerogative of the sovereign pontiff above all earthly power and by maintaining his authority of deposing kings set no bounds either to his spiritual or temporal jurisdiction this doctrine became so prevalent among the zealous catholics in england that the excommunication fulminated against elizabeth excited many scruples of a singular kind to which it behooved 
the holy father to provide a remedy the bull of pious in absolving the subjects from their oaths of allegiance commanded them to resist the queen's usurpation and many romanists were apprehensive that by this clause they were obliged in conscience even though no favourable opportunity offered to rebel against her and that no dangers or difficulties could free them from this indispensable duty but parsons and campion two jesuits were sent over with a mitigation and explanation of the doctrine and they taught their disciples that though the bull was forever binding on elizabeth and her partisans it did not oblige the catholics to obedience except when the sovereign pontiff should think proper by a new summons to require it campion was afterwards detected in treasonable practices and being put to the rack and confessing his guilt he was publicly executed his execution was ordered at the very time when the duke of anjou was in england and prosecuted with the greatest appearance of success his marriage with the queen and this severity was probably intended to appease her protestant subjects and to satisfy them that whatever measures she might pursue she would never depart from the principles of the reformation the duke of alencon now created duke of anjou had never entirely dropped his pretensions to elizabeth and that princess though her suitor was near twenty-five years younger than herself and had no knowledge of her person but by pictures or descriptions was still pleased with the image which his addresses afforded her of love and tenderness the duke in order to forward his suit besides employing his brother's ambassador sent over simier an agent of his own an artful man of an agreeable conversation who soon remarking the queen's humour amused her with gay discourse and instead of serious political reasonings which he found only awakened her ambition and hurt his master's interests he introduced every moment all the topics of passion and of gallantry the pleasure which she found in this man's company soon produced a familiarity between them and amidst the greatest hurry of business her most confidential ministers had not such ready access to her as had simier who on pretence of negotiation entertained her with accounts of the tender attachment borne her by the duke of anjou the earl of leicester who had never before been alarmed with any courtship paid her and who always trusted that her love of dominion would prevail over her inclination to marriage began to apprehend that she was at last caught in her own snare and that the artful encouragement which she had given to this young suitor had unawares engaged her affections to render simier odious he availed himself of the credulity of the times and spread reports that the minister had gained an ascendant over the queen not by any natural principles of her constitution but by incantations and love potions simier in revenge endeavoured to discredit leicester with the queen and he revealed to her a secret 
which none of her courtiers dared to disclose that this nobleman was secretly without her consent married to the widow of the earl of essex an action which the queen interpreted either to proceed from want of respect to her or as a violation of their mutual attachment and which so provoked her that she threatened to send him to the tower the quarrel went so far between leicester and the french agent that the former was suspected of having employed one tudor a bravo to take away the life of his enemy and the queen thought it necessary by proclamation to take simier under her immediate protection it happened that while elizabeth was rowed in her barge on the thames attended by simier and some of her courtiers a shot was fired which wounded one of the bargemen but the queen finding upon inquiry that the piece had been discharged by accident gave the person his liberty without further punishment so far was she from entertaining any suspicion against her people that she was often heard to say that she would lend credit to nothing against them which parents would not believe of their own children the duke of anjou encouraged by the accounts sent him of the queen's prepossessions in his favour paid her secretly a visit at greenwich and after some conference with her the purport of which is not known he departed it appeared that though his figure was not advantageous he had lost no ground by being personally known to her and soon after she commanded burleigh now treasurer sussex leicester bedford lincoln hatton and secretary walsingham to concert with the french ambassadors the terms of the intended contract of marriage henry had sent over on this occasion a splendid embassy consisting of francis de bourbon prince of dauphiny and many considerable noblemen and as the queen had in a manner the power of prescribing what terms she pleased the articles were soon settled with the english commissioners it was agreed that the marriage should be celebrated within six weeks after the ratification of the articles that the duke and his retinue should have the exercise of their religion that after the marriage he should bear the title of king but the administration remained solely in the queen that their children male or female should succeed to the crown of england that if there be two males the elder in case of henry's death without issue should be king of france the younger of england that if there be but one male and he succeed to the crown of france he should be obliged to reside in england eight months every two years that the laws and customs of england should be preserved inviolate and that no foreigner should be promoted by the duke to any office in england end of section twenty one chapter forty one part one